Welcome to The Bridge, fun conversations on culture, life, and everything in between. Welcome to The Bridge. We are a show that connects East and West. My name is Jason. I'm originally from sunny California, now living in beautiful Beijing. Today with me is Bebe. Yay! Hi! Hi, Jason! Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Bridge. Find us where you get your podcasts. If you like the show, then consider pushing the like button or giving us five stars. Suggestions, comments, anything you would like to share, email us at welovethebridge at gmail.com. We love the bridge. Have today, Jason? Well, you know, I came back from Wuhan mm. and in Beijing, I haven't seen a single grayish day. <laughs> like, you know, so you, back in 2013, 14, 15, there were some gray days mm. in Beijing and the sky was a little uh, questionable. But, you know, it's like, where is it? <laughs> Where's the sky? <laughs> but it's so much better now. I mean, it was better in 2017, 18, 19, but I left it for Wuhan mm. and I came back and I have mm-hmm. not seen one day that was like above 58. The AQI was above 50, where it was so the air is basically as clean or cleaner than most cities, probably cleaner than a lot of cities in the West now. I, uh, I, we've lost track of that whole PM. You don't have to check. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember five, six years ago, it was like, you know, everybody was talking about it when we met, (laughs) right? Oh, what's the the number today? Mm. And then we just slowly forgot about it. Nowadays, it's like when you go out um, in the spring and the summer and the fall, like it's just stunning how pretty it is. It's like we have to think back to the days when, oh, there once upon a time, it was smoggy here in Beijing. (laughs) And it's amazing. It is amazing. It's not just the air that's being cleaned up. Beijing is transitioning from quantitative growth, Mm. trying to grow really fast to trying to grow qualitatively. So it's actually really starting to look after its environment. In previous episodes, we've talked about afforestation and reforestation. And today, I thought we would talk about a little bit about rivers. Beijing took dramatic actions to clean up the Liangma River in Beijing. I'm active on Twitter now. Side-by-side pictures of the river in 2019 and Mm. 2022. I got these uh, yesterday on her Twitter on Mm. October 11th, showing the dramatic difference. And just how is China revitalizing the environment today? Mm. So you've got this picture. I sent it to you. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, I remember when it looked like that. I I remember when that river looked like that. It has some trash in it a little bit. On the left? Yeah, on the left. And then on the picture on the right, it looks like if you if I go see it today in Beijing at any part, mm. any segment of that river, it looks resplendent. Hey, so that's the river in Chaoyang Park, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it is. It winds oh. through there. It goes through a lot of places, actually. I, I love Lanse Gangwan. I'm sure you've been there before because it's re- right next to mm. Chaoyang Park. And there's like a shopping area. Oh, Solana? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lanse yeah, yeah. Solana. Blue Solana. Uh, exactly. Uh. So I love that place. It's really posh now. I just got told by some friends of mine that I need to go back and visit it again yeah. because apparently it's quite different than it was before. It's I don't know when you last went there, but now it's like a great place to take your kids there because there's like mm. a skating rink. In the Ooh. summer, it's uh, fountains. You know, they play music and the water change, fountain changes color. And uh, They got so, that in Wukasong too. Yeah, it's a fountain thing. <laughs> yeah. And then there's a, usually there this little train going on for little kids. What's that? Mm. Uh, Thomas. Thomas. You know the train, yeah. Thomas? Yes. Okay. I actually have never seen that show. I've just seen so many memes yeah. about Thomas, the, <laughs> the, the train or the engine. It's very so I know popular about it. here yeah. in China. You find them at like all the malls and, and it's quite pricey. You have to pay like um, 25 or maybe even more per person. 
So, you know, usually the kid and the parent ride on the train across the uh, around the mall. So, yeah, that place, yeah, you should yeah, go yeah. there. It's lovely. And at Christmas time. I feel like every mall has that. Every mall has those trains. Yeah. And Christmas time, there are lights, Christmas lights everywhere. Mm. Uh, blue. Mm. I think it's called Blue Solana. And then it's right next to the Chaoyang Park. And there are restaurants like you mm-hmm. can sit mm-hmm. at one side of it. Uh, that's water at the waterfront. So you can eat like next to the water with the park in view. Mm. Well, you're making me want to go. I might just go tomorrow. I, I love it. I love it there. Yeah. Yeah, I might just. So you're saying that not just the water because the water has been clean as far as I can remember <laughs> in the park. So it, the water goes beyond that, right? You're listening to The Bridge. Dubbed as the Xi'an of Beijing, Lianghua River in the city's northeast is one of the most popular scenic spots and social destinations for both locals and expats. Joggers, yogis, coffee makers, picnickers, parents with kids and dogs all enjoy activities along the riverbank, adding liveliness and festivity to the idyllic and dynamic character of Lianghua River. It's hard to imagine that barely anyone visited the river just a few years ago because of heavy pollution. Since 2008, the city of Beijing has been carrying out continuous restoration projects in this area to build it into an international waterfront park. Now, Liangma River is widely known as a leisure hub, featuring beautiful riverside scenery and trendy ways of life. Let's find out what people like about Liangma River and how they see the changes here. It's getting more beautiful here in Liangma River. More lights, ponds, and landscapes are being added. They also have night cruises now. I haven't seen that before. The place is now turning into a scenic spot. There are so many things to do here at the riverbank. Jogging, fishing, skateboarding, and I even see some people do slacklining here. The water is cleaner than before, so some would choose to do paddleboard here. The environment is getting better in a way you can't imagine. And I'm really happy that we have such a place in the city center where you can have a nice break and find some peace. Yes, I've been living in Beijing for three years, so I usually come here like pretty often to just visit my friends or chill here. I think before it was more foreigners around, so more people were out. Yes, but it's still very beautiful. Yeah, I think the river is also quite uh, beautiful and what I heard from my friends is there are a lot of people here around and it is a great opportunity to meet new people, especially when you're new in Beijing. I've been so many times here and I think it's uh, the best part of Beijing because you also can time during the daytime enjoy just walking with your friend, grab some coffee, chill, like talk. And my favorite, I think, part is like in the evening they have Lama cruise boat, boat ride, and the river is full of lights, different bridges, and it's so romantic and so beautiful here. Well, I wanted to actually talk about the Liangma River a little bit because I found a lot of material about it. I went back in time. I traveled in my my time machine to 2019 and I found this article. That's not too far. 
is your machine like can it can it be more powerful it, i guess it could it's called google maybe you've heard of it yeah. <laughs> and in chinadaily.com had an article in 2019 february 18th liangma river Rec- reclamation project planned oh. so this is when just a few years ago you're saying it's not that long ago mm. china had really began a, a plan okay we really need to start cleaning up the rivers roll up our sleeves and go now yeah <laughs> if we travel forward in jason's time machine to this year uh, i guess this is june the global times on the 12th new article how the cn of beijing becomes a romantic escape mm. for beijing residents expats mm. amid covid19 and if you look down the article the pictures look like it looks in real life now mm-hmm. and they're just beautiful and you apparently you can take a river cruise and they have mm. a picture of some foreigners enjoying the night view of Liangwan River in December of 2021. So if you take this date, December 2021 and February 2019, what is that like? Yeah, less than that. Less than three years, Beijing was mm. able to completely clean up, detrash, and raise the water level and fix the river running through Beijing. Yeah. Pretty amazing. For people who have not visited that part of Beijing, it's not just like a lonely river <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> There's so much going on. There's a subway <laughs> station called which is Liangma Bridge. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, That's where Taco Bell is. Yeah, it's got to. Oh, they, there's a Taco Bell here now? Yeah, <laughs> I, I've is, never yeah. seen it, but I know there's one here. Mm. So, anyhow, there are all kinds of restaurants and malls and coffee houses mm-hmm. and like bakery. You name it. It's like, it's where I want to live. It's very posh over there. On it that is. Side of the city. You'll <laughs> love it. So, you guys, you have never, you know, been that area, go. And it's close to the um, embassy area, mm-hmm. right? With no, like, like high-rise buildings and quiet walks. Oh, I love it. There are high-rise buildings. You just what's happened, baby, is we've both gotten out of the subway separately mm. in time, and you've walked towards the area where there are no buildings, and I've walked towards the area where there are buildings. <laughs> the other side, <laughs> right? Well, the embassy mm. area is a little bit like like Ringwich Village mm, mm, in New mm. York. You know, it's just like yeah. It's you mean not, the new embassy no area, not the old one by uh, Stanley Tour. The, maybe sunny part. Anyhow. Yeah, the Liangma. No, no, the Liangma Chao area. You're right. All the embassy, uh, many of the embassies have relocated over there. Mm. And it is a very beautiful area. And it, I think <laughs> it's like what you're talking about. But the old embassy area is around still the there. San Litoon area. It's still there, but like there are less embassies. They're migrating right. into this new part of the city. And also like the water, when it comes to water preservation or improvement of uh, water quality, mm. it's not just for like this river mm. or Beijing. It's like across the country. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, It's like a huge thing now, you know, cleaning up rivers um, all across China. But I mean, like in in general, environmental issues have literally gone to the top Mm -hmm. of national priority. You know, people were feeling the impact. Mostly, I think people were concerned about air quality. And that's like, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. almost like a past problem now, at least for people in Beijing. And uh, we didn't really notice as much about water because it's not like, you know, you wake up, you see it right away. But I think the country has been doing a lot when it comes to uh, dealing with water issues. You're listening to The Bridge. 
you know, I, I don't have all the data in front of me because I wasn't expecting to think about it. But I actually, China is conducting a soil and uh, mm. soil degradation research across the country right now. And in addition to the fact that they've been aforesting and reforesting. So I, I think China's tackling all three land, water mm. and, you know, uh, air at the same time using different methodologies. But you know what I did notice when I was in Wuhan mm -hmm. is the rivers when I got there were beautiful. They were like fine. I was like, oh, wow, lovely rivers. Right. I also noticed that over the course that I was there, mm. there were these little tiny boats with one or two people in them at a time going mm. around and meticulously just primping and pruning and not just like cleaning, but adding new value. So there are these like oh. these crates that are wooden and like different materials that are hanging there. And there's increasing oh. growth of different kinds of plant life that they're adding into the river all throughout because Wuhan is full of rivers, mm. not just the Yangtze. It's covered all these rivers crisscross across the entire city, a lot like Beijing, but more so. Mm. And they've actually increased in the one year that I was there, the quality and the quantity of flower life and, and all kinds wow. of lotuses and it's actually i think it's not like it's you're, you're saying it's not just in beijing it's across the entire country and i actually found another article jason pays uh, attention i love i like pretty things <laughs> so yeah. I, in my time machine i went back a few weeks not very long to china china.com mm -hmm. this is september 13th china sees water body rejuvenation thanks to river chiefs yeah so these these guys i was saying yeah each one or two gentlemen or ladies are assigned segments of rivers throughout the country and their job is to make sure that they improve it with their time obviously and they're given the resources and tools to do so mm. there's a minute new minister of water resources lee guying i'm probably <laughs> Not getting the That's times fine. right at all. Sorry, <laughs> sorry Mr. Lee. <laughs> but he. there are now 900,000 mm. river chiefs in China that are overseeing different rivers throughout the mm. – because China is gigantic. But according to uh, Lee, Mr. Lee, uh, Minister Lee, the river chief system is a major reform measure that Xi Jinping, general secretary of the CPC Central Committee, has planned, made decisions on, and promoted personally. So mm -hmm. you're getting a lot of attention from the center of the, the government, making sure that these people are enabled to make proper decisions, including yeah. reporting people if they are polluting the river. So that's a really key part, making sure that certain factories or you know businesses don't take advantage of rivers being nearby their facilities to dump, you know, who knows what into them. So these river chiefs are able to report to the central committee, to the minister, and make sure that these things are not happening. So basically with the river chief system, uh, responsibilities are, I guess, better delegated. Mm -hmm. So you know who's responsible for what. Mm -hmm. I've heard mm -hmm. of this, and um, I actually found some information regarding this. Mm. Um, I think it was back in 2016, mm -hmm. and it was from the central government mm. that required the full establishment of the river-slash-lake chief system, mm. and it's across the country. And it wasn't just to improve water quality, but also, here's a term, to overcome the nine dragons ruling the waters. <laughs> You've heard about, heard of the dragon kings, right? Yeah, yeah. In water. They actually supposedly created the rivers. That's what I heard. Well, yeah. Anyhow, so the dragons in China, you know, it's mm -hmm. related to waters. They're responsible for rain at mm -hmm. the right time. But if you anger them, they could uh -oh. do crazy things. <laughs> Wait a minute. How do we not anger them, baby? I want to make sure. That sounds well, scary. Well, keep the rivers clean, right? Ah, Don't fish ah, too much. Ah. They need that. 
Have you heard of um, uh, like crab soldiers and shrimp? Oh, from the Monkey King, I have. Yeah, Monkey King. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. like they have their responsibilities. Hmm. Anyhow, so so back then when there were nine dragons ruling the waters, it was a reference to divided responsibility <laughs> stretching across several government agencies, hmm. and that's why you know results were a lot of times poor because the way it was governed. But now, under this new system, river slash lake chief system, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. top officials at various levels of government they are appointed as the lake or river chiefs within their jurisdiction. So now it's very clear if this river, you know, is getting stinkier by the day, you know who to look for. Right? <laughs> I remember vaguely, maybe it was a documentary or something, mm -hmm. like the top of a, either it was a county or a city, like mm -hmm. the mayor or, you know, a position like that. Uh, because of the system, started pacing along the river now. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, instead of uh, um, maybe uh, doing exercise elsewhere, <laughs> now it's his responsibility to make sure that the river stays clean and mm. also water levels and everything, you know. <laughs> th this river better not dry up on my term. <laughs> so, um, and so by the end of 2018, this system had been implemented throughout China. Mm. And you probably have the numbers present, which is 2022, mm, mm. Um, this top-down target responsibility system um, managed their performance in meeting uh, water pollution and related related objectives. So by the end of 2018, mm. um, there are over 300,000 mm. river chiefs mm. at various levels. That's like from township, county, municipal, and provincial. 300,000, that's five zeros. <laughs> and so it's like a top-down target responsibility system. You're listening to The Bridge. Well, you know, I think it's really interesting. You mentioned overfishing. I actually don't know much about the laws and the regulations of fishing. See, in the United States, if you get a fishing license, they tell you you're allowed to fish a certain amount of fish. Mm -hmm. Depending on the river, depending on the state, the laws are a little bit different. So you have to go to a very local person, like the county or the town or whatever, and you get it from them. In some places, you get it a state. Mm -hmm. uh, it, you know, you just apply for it. I don't think it even costs that much. It's like $10 or something, depending depending on the state, depending on the county, etc. Then you go out and you have, have a certain amount of fishing. The same is with hunting. Here in China, I don't know how this works, but what I have seen, I'll tell you a couple different stories, mm -hmm. is obviously you have elderly, retired gentlemen mostly. <laughs> and they go out to the river and they go fishing all day. And it's a social event. They bring a bucket with them and, you know, they ca catch a few fish and then they bring them back. It's like social event for people who want to be alone. <laughs> to, be, to be left alone in peace. Well, you know, not, not yeah. really. Sometimes there are, you see that there, there, yes, there are gentlemen that are off on their own, but there are like groups of three or four mm -hmm. elderly guys hanging out and like talking with their friends kind of while they fish. But I wanted to tell this other story. Sometimes I see where there are signs that say no fishing. Mm. I've been to some parks and I've seen these like clever elderly gentlemen who have like a little tiny fishing gear system <laughs> that can be like put in their pocket and taken out. And they're like fishing. Anywhere 
there. Yeah, the, the, the walk out into like the brush where it's hard to get to and mm. fi- fish in a place where maybe they're not supposed to. So I was I was actually wondering, do you know anything? Do you need a fishing license or can you just show up at, as long as you're not, I guess, fishing on mass, like with a big net? <laughs> like, a, oh, I guess it's just like the government is like, OK, that's just some retiree hanging out. The mosquitoes will get you. <laughs> I'm, I'm not too sure, actually. Hmm. Um, but I know that there are certain rivers hmm. um, that you're not supposed to fish. For example, I think it was in March oh, yeah. uh, 2021, hmm. the new Yangtze River hmm. Protection Law was enacted to protect the Yangtze mm, River. Mm. So I guess better not fish over there. <laughs> but I think part of that is there are no boats fishing. There are no nets being cast. There are, I, oh. I, I, I did not see that, but I do still see the occasionally straggling elderly guy out on the Yangtze <laughs> River. It's true, it's true. And Jason is coming to, to get you. Oh, hey, I, if you get one of those, you know mm. how people, some people walk around with a red ring this reminds me of a joke that i heard oh yeah i love jokes tell me i'm not too sure if it's true but i heard it somewhere so this man a married man went fishing one day it's like late into the night now and he still wasn't back home mm. so his wife was like huh where what is he up to he's supposed to be fishing is he off to some other woman's, you know, mm-hmm. place and mm-hmm. uh, doing things behind my back? Things are getting fishy. Yeah, exactly. Good one. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, you know, she went to find him at his usual fishing spots, but he wasn't there, getting more suspicious. Mm. And it was only later that mm-hmm. he got a call from, fish guess where? Land? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, the fish land, the Dragon King? <laughs> no, Ashley got from, like, the local police mm. station. Oh. <laughs> He was like, come and collect your husband. <laughs> he was fishing at an illegal area. <laughs> Mystery solved. Oh. And the wife, I don't know. I'm just imagining. He's probably like, oh, okay, see, so he's not at some other women's house. Well, well you know, why don't you just keep him there? <laughs> Less trouble for me. But, you know, this is just, just a joke. But um, I guess uh, certain parts of uh, certain rivers, uh, especially according to the season, right? Sometimes fish, they have to, mm-hmm. you know, breed and have more fish yeah, so yeah, yeah. you don't collect them all. But anyhow, the responses of China to its national water challenges, mm-hmm. you know, I could go on if you're interested. Absolutely, please do. I think the people listening at home in North America are probably even more interested in this because they have less of a basis of knowledge about what's going on in China. You know how blessed um, North America is? It's geological uh, location and also the resources mm-hmm. that let's say America is endowed it with. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think the U.S. is short of anything, natural resources, right? Water and everything. I don't have the data in front of me, but I can say that mm-hmm. back in the 60s and 70s, there were, were massive polluting events where rivers were so mm. uh, you know polluted that they literally burst into flames. But that's man-made. I think of the natural endowment. Yeah, that was completely right? Yeah, you're absolutely right. There are some, I mean, but China has the same. I don't know what you're talking about. China has got rivers and mountains the himalayas are here <laughs> i mean i'm not saying that Ch- america is not blessed america absolutely is 100 blessed with a in deserts yeah. and forests and every kind of climate and so is china china has rainforests and the himalayas and deserts i mean both have rivers both have like all kinds of resources the thing, don't they the thing about china is that the water is distributed not evenly mm. you know it's uneven 
uh, distribution of water. Is this the north-south so, waterway? Yes. Yeah, yeah. north-south, yeah. especially. So you know how like northern Chinese tend to grow up on wheat-related food, like noodles. I did not yeah, know that. You no. did not know that? Like northern people, <laughs> no. it's noodles everywhere. I don't know. When I go into a restaurant, I just order what I want. I don't know where it's coming from. There's a, there's a huge <laughs> difference in diet. Tell us about so it. In the, yeah. yeah, so in the south, southern China, people eat rice a lot. Mm. Um, and northern China, mo mostly, it's like, you know, steamed buns and noodles and um because it's dry in northern part of china and uh southern part is a lot oh. wetter with more river resources yeah and you know yeah, how rice water, grows, right yeah, yeah, it grows yeah. in puddles of water mm. yeah you need a lot of water for that like northern part just won't be able to sustain that but i mean may, may i isn't i mean i don't mean to problematize what you're saying but when i fly over shandong sometimes i look down and i see those rice uh you know descending rice steps where they have the, the growing and like oh on terrace the, side of the cliffs your terraces because shandong is Northish, it's north of Shanghai, so it's in the quote unquote north. Mm. So I guess, like, I just always assumed rice just grows everywhere in China. <laughs> it would be very hard, like, it would take mm. a lot of water to maintain because mm. literally grows in water, like in mm. a swimming pool. But mm. anyhow, I have some data here. I found this really, really good article. It's called How China is Responding to Its Water Woes, mm. and it's from the diplomat.com. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's a very recent article. Mm -hmm. Like, aren't you happy when you find some article that's like, whoa, it just came out mm -hmm. and it's just what you need. <laughs> so this is from September of this year. Um, actually, when I thought about, oh, okay, we're going to talk about environmental mm -hmm. water projects. We're like, water projects? Huh. <laughs> um, doesn't sound too interesting. But when I started reading, it gets very interesting. So a little bit of uh, the background, as we were talking about. Uh, China, I think, has under 6% of the world's water resources. Um, and it's one of the top five countries in terms of freshwater resources. Huh. Uh, but on a, on a per capita basis, China faces severe water shortages. So if it's like, you know, with a lot of things, mm -hmm. GDP or land area, once you count mm -hmm. per capita... <laughs> like China's ranking just drops because <laughs> there are just, just mm. so many people. Um, but water abundant southern China, as I mentioned, is prone to severe floods. Yeah, like Zhengzhou. It seems to flood every year. Oh, dear. Zhengzhou is like kind of still in the not too south. Mm. Um, it's Hunan province, like sort of, uh, yeah, middle-ish. And then in contrast, northern China, home to the country's agricultural center, is much drier. And with severe water shortage, uh, severe water shortages, mm -hmm. and um, estimates suggest, and this is from this article, that North China holds a mere four percent of the country's water oh, you resources. Mean north, as in everything above Shanghai. Where is the line drawn? Uh, like Yangtze River. Oh wow, wow, approximately Yangtze wow. River. Wow. Uh, maybe that's not as precise. Four percent of China's water is north of resources. That is insane. But, <laughs> which must sustain twenty-five percent of the country's population. And also 27% of the national gross uh, domestic product. And you've heard of these uh, huge water projects, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Like the um, South-North Water Transfer Project. Mm -hmm. Now it sounds self-explanatory. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you just told us <laughs> all about what it is. Right. You're listening to The Bridge. 
You know, I, I actually I've read about that so many different times. It's fascinating mm. because I was in as an American think about this would solve America's problems because you have all the water in the Great Lakes, mm. you know, up in the area around Michigan, and you could easily divert a lot of that water to other places. Excepting there's no political will to do it because people in that area don't want that to happen. Uh. People that where the land that project would cross don't want that to happen on their land, and so the only people that would benefit are like Nevada and California and maybe mm. Arizona. But if they could do it, like China could do it, it would be such a boon to American like ability to growth, farming, and all kinds of things. I, I'm really impressed mm. that in this day and age, China was able to pull off a project of that size. And Jason, I see you standing in front of a map. You know, telling your audience, "Here's an American map," and you're pointing to that huge body of water. See here, this blue patch. Let's divert <laughs> this, move this <laughs> to like all the other areas. Problem solved. <laughs> well, you know, it's a bit. It's because Michigan's not flooding, but you know what isn't in the South. When it mentioned, when I mentioned Zhengzhou, you say it's not properly the South, but they flood. Mm. And what's interesting mm. is in Beijing, they need water. So right. moving water from where it's flooding to where they need water is brilliant and simple and like obvious. Yeah, but it's just complicated in、mm. implementation. And、mm. also, of course, we have the three gorges dam. Now,、mm. these are the、um, it's gorgeous,、uh, like engineering and <laughs> en- like engineering folks to solutions to the、mm. country's water problems. And these have been、mm. you know around for decades. And we mentioned once this new project,、um, recent project proposals, including the Red Flag River Water Transfer Project. You've heard of it. I have I th- not. Please tell us about it. I'm so curious now. We were talking about five、uh, major infrastructure projects one day,、mm-hmm. but anyhow,、mm-hmm. I don't have the details. But that's another one of those、uh, hydro,、Ooh. huge hydro projects. Oh,、okay. um, the and a super dam. It would be a super dam on the upstream of Brahmaputra, and the robot built 3D printed dam. Oh yeah, I read about that. So one, yeah. yeah, maybe someday we can, you know,、uh, get into more details.、Mm. But China has been searching for scientific solutions, even out. Uh, natural resources. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And speaking of, whenever I think about the uneven distribution of water, and also how you can have, you know, flooding in, in one area and then droughts at the same time in another area,、mm-hmm. it's like it doesn't make sense, right? Well, I mean, China's a colossal size. It's huge. If you're in a small country like Montenegro, you know, the weather is the same、yeah. on both sides. But like China so, is, you know, in the news, enormous. You hear、uh, this city is being flooded, and that area is suffering from drought. It makes me think. Think of like body fat, you know. Like, can't you just, you know, the can ba- body fat just grow <laughs> at the right places? <laughs> Why do you have to, like, you know? Wait, what are the right places? Well, for for females, you know, it's more obvious. Everyone, oh, I, I thought I thought everyone doesn't want body fat anywhere. Well, if that, it's nicely、know. distributed, it will be、mm. nice. But the thing is,、mm. they usually. Um, condense around, congregate around, you know, midriff, sensitive areas, or like、okay. in the middle, right,、mm. and、mm. where it shows. You're listening to the bridge. Besides the river chief system, have you heard of、uh, citizen science? Citizen science. Citizen science. Science is、so、in like culture.、Yeah. Science. Culture, exactly. Citizens, 公民 so it's like 公民科学 It's like getting everybody involved、mm. when it comes to、uh, solving environmental issues.、Mm. And this is also from the article I mentioned from thediplomat.com.、Mm-hmm. Um, so it's another way that China has been addressing the water challenges,、mm-hmm. enabling residents to play a greater role in monitoring 
and protecting the environment. Mm. Um, and one of the examples is an app called Black and Smelly Waters app. Wow. <laughs> so is that pretty self-explanatory? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to imagine. I don't I don't know what the app is. You see water that needs to be improved. You take a snap with your phone and put it into the app, and then they send the water chief out to investigate. Something like that. I actually well, cool, I looked yeah. for it on the phone. I didn't download it, but there is one. It's called Hei Chou Shui Jian Se, literally mm. Monitoring Black and Stinky Water App. <laughs> so <laughs> this was launched back in 2016 mm. by the National Housing and Environment Ministries. Mm. Allows users users to report polluted urban water sites mm. and has been moderately successful, according to this article. Well, any and, improvement is, is yeah, good. And, you know, a lot of uh, uncles and aunties, you know, retired <laughs> uncle and aunties, um, they, this might just be something they love to do, you know, because they... Walking around looking at the yeah, water. Yeah, and it helps them to... <laughs> reminds, of their, reminds them of their responsibility as a citizen. Mm. And um, a lot of them will like something mm -hmm. useful, I guess, to still feel useful after retirement. One time I saw this older lady and she was mm. collecting bottles and plastic cans you know cans and stuff mm. and I, I was like summer we should help her and my wife was like you know she lives here right she lives in that apartment over there and it's more expensive than our apartment i was like why is this i thought she was homeless why is this lady doing this she she wants something to do she wants to help the community mm. i was like so confused because an american retiree is not just gonna go collect like cans for like fun like right. or whatever oh my my grandma uh, from my dad's side, used to do that. Back then, they lived, like, her apartment was on the third floor or something. Mm. And she's been such a diligent lady all her life. She's, like, 93 now. Mm. And she's still really healthy. And I think the biggest reason for her health is that she's very diligent. She's mm. always mm. moving around, finding mm. things to do. Mm. And in her, like, I, I think she was in her late 80s. Um, you know, she was comfortable in her apartment. But she's like, I got to do something. Mm. You know, these uh, cooking is not enough. So <laughs> she, she would uh, go out, just as you said, out onto the street and collect bottles. Mm. And then um, my aunt, her, her daughter, got so angry. She's like, Mom, why are you doing this? They'll think you're homeless. <laughs> you're just picking up garbage along the way. And, and she was like, why not? Right? It's better for the environment. And mm. I can sell this for like two cents or like five <laughs> cents, whatever. And so like my, my aunt had to like keep an eye on her and she would still sneak out. <laughs> You're not cleaning up again, are you? <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, she will literally sneak out to pick up bottles. <laughs> wow. But it's a, it's actually um, pretty effective. I've heard about it mm. from many different people. So like I, I'm actually at first I was a little really she lives in that apartment. <laughs> and then like I, I learned more about a lot of cases from a lot of different people where it's like my grandma goes out and starts cleaning the street and like <laughs> right <laughs> my grandmas in china are not like grandmas in the u.s they, they don't like to sit still and do nothing yeah. you're listening to the bridge I found other interesting projects. So these are actually more popular ones, right? River Chief System. Have mm -hmm. you heard of mm -hmm. uh, Sponge City 
initiative? I have. Uh, yeah. So really? have okay. you ever seen the videos of this? So there are no. different kinds of ways that this can happen, including like they dig these really there's different techniques. They dig these really, 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 really deep holes mm. that like drill down and then they kind of get narrow. It's like a very vertical funnel. Mm. And there's also other ones where it's just putting plant life and like so that grows in deep into the soil and the roots can fill with moisture. Mm. But there are other ones where the pavement itself is capable of letting the water right. move through the pavement into the soil beneath. There are some videos on YouTube in China where these huge truck mm. tankers are doing demonstrations and they just start dumping water. I mean, like, you know, tons, ton, literally tons at, at per second in through this. And it doesn't accumulate on the top. It just pours straight through the concrete. It's amazing mm. looking. It looks like not real. <laughs> it, it's completely new to me. Like, I didn't know mm. this until I read this article. So I just want to share this with our listener. Mm. Um, so in contrast to traditional ways of, you know, engineering focused Chinese water management approach, Beijing has demonstrated interest in green solutions, such as constructed wetlands and mm. permeable mm. pavements mm. through the Sponge City Initiative. And this is not just for Beijing. And after I read about this, I was like, this makes so much sense. Mm. And there is even a CNN article. Mm -hmm. I think the title is China's Sponge Cities Aim to Reuse 70% of Rainwater. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So basically, if you think about it, the water, the pavements, or highways that we have now, it's not like it doesn't soak up water. Mm -hmm. So whenever it rains, the water has to be funneled off through all these um, tunnels or yeah, yeah. what do you call it? Yeah, well, I mean, exactly. Right. Tunnels, an yeah. underground, uh, a network of tunnels that removes exactly. the water to a, a suitable location. Right. And previously. at the same time, at the same time, we are like cities are overusing groundwater mm -hmm. and uh, waterway degradation. Also, you know, when it rains, it results in urban flooding. But if you can think of a way of uh, turning city life absorbing, to more, yeah, the water yeah, like more into the city. State. Yeah. Because if you think about time the time before city or in the countryside when it rains the water just soaked down yeah right yeah. trees and whatever others they can they take what they need and the rest go down to the ground mm -hmm. but because of um the pavement everything blocking the water yeah it created so much yeah. I, how come it never came up like now i think of it it's such a reasonable thing to do so this project aims to reuse rainwater in a way of collecting them, yeah. Really great part of this is you have all these uh, off-system wells and you can't get rid of them all because a lot of people had them for centuries even. Mm. And so what happens is the water goes down, it gets cleaned by the soil mm. and absorbed by the soil, and it fills up the caverns on, that are deep, deep inside the earth again and refuels them so that they actually have right. clean water. And by the time it gets into those caverns, it's clean. It's been cleaned by the soil and it's cleaned the soil. It's perfect, right? Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. You know, in, what happens in Africa? Aquifers. Aquifers. That's what you're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. Like uh, mm -hmm. natural bodies of underground water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what mm -hmm. happens in some deserts in some parts of Africa is you have flash flooding. Mm. So a lot of people, especially younger people who or people who don't know, are familiar with science. They think, oh, great. It's rained in the desert. That's a great thing. You mm -hmm. know, maybe it is for like one or two days, but really it's actually not a great thing because what happens is the soil is so hard mm. that the water just goes across the soil mm. and only makes the top centimeter or two a little moist and then just is gone a few days later. Mm. So what's great about this system where they've 
created plants that are part of the system and these deep tunnels that help the water funnel into the soil as opposed to just going into pipes is that allows the soil to stay moist mm. so that when it rains again or snows again and that snow melts, the, the soil is capable of absorbing, of absorbing the water. It yeah, makes exactly. so much sense. It's a compounding sense. effect, yeah. And also in the CNN article, it compares the Sponge City initiative to the one called low impact development mm. in North America, low impact development project, mm. which mimics natural processes to protect water quality. Mm. I don't know if you heard of it before. No, no. In this article uh, about the Sponge City initiative, it says, seeking to harness the benefits of natural-based solution, uh, the Sponge City approach brings together blue system mm. and green spaces, such as wetlands, as part of a gray infrastructure, such as water recycling initiatives. Mm, mm, mm. And the aim is to create Chinese eco-cities eco that support the local urban water cycle, mm. right? control and reduce flooding, water scarcity, and water pollution, and strengthen local urban resilience especially against the growing frequency and intensity of climate change reduced extreme weather events which we've seen way too many times uh, in mm -hmm. the past few years mm -hmm. and so back uh i think it was in 2014 the sponge city concept has been implemented in 30 major cities including mm -hmm. shanghai and beijing and by 2030 the Chinese government aims for 80% of its urban areas to absorb and reuse water. That's amazing. Yeah. Go back to like our arc as a show. Mm. It's another example of how China benefits from developing later. Mm. Because all of these ideas, even though some of them seem really simple, are actually only been really developed by scientists in the last couple of decades. And here mm. comes China. It's like, we're ready to build things. And like all the newest science and technology right. <laughs> is available for China to do it better than mm. its predecessors. Yeah, and, uh, but of course, someone has to take the lead, right, to recognize the problem. Mm. And nature keeps reminding us. I mean, even the past summer, mm. Uh, mm. with all the heat mm. waves, and uh, yeah. now, even now, I think there are droughts in different parts of China. And it's it's not because there's not enough water. It's just the way it's distributed mm. and uh, it's it's used, right? So we're, that's why we're finding solutions. And mm. when the responsibility, when the top government recognize the severity of the problem, mm. that's how, you know, usually things get implemented. Mm. So, and, and that's been at the top of the list for, for years now. You're listening to The Bridge. Actually, I wanted to comment on exactly that. You know, I love America. I'm an American. I love my brothers and my mother and all my family there and Taco Bell. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but, you know, like one of the advantages of the Chinese system is that, you know, at the top, you have the CPC, like, and they are making decisions that can be carried out on a grand scale efficiently. Mm. And so that like central like planning is a, a dramatic advantage that I think, in fact, the United States should take more advantage of, you know, like, for example, mm. um, I'm going to I don't want to go off on a tangent because we were supposed to be talking about rivers, but homelessness. I was talking mm -hmm. to a guest recently named Miguel. You know, I had been reading all this research about homelessness, mm. thought I realized by reading all of these articles by Americans mm. and scientists. And, and people who really thought that they, they were knew, knew what they were talking about that, oh, this is so much more complicated. Mm. But what it turns out when I'm talking to Miguel, he, he says, 
oh, it's not complicated. You know, if America had central planning, they could just build homes for the homeless. And I said, mm. no, but it's really complicated. And I said, no, it's not. Mm. China just went out to some places and they were like, this area Let's has people who need homes. And they built like tens of thousands of homes here and tens of thousands of homes there. And now guess what? Mm. There aren't homeless people. And I realized, oh, yeah, I had been kind of hoodwinked by this system of mm. self-referential complexity in America to overcomplicate a problem that really just needs homes. Mm. And so like when we're talking about improving the environment today, what's great about China's system is that they can see a problem, uh, you know, across the nation and say, mm. this needs to be fixed. Mm -hmm. And then they implement strategies and start fixing it immediately. Now, I'm no expert, but I think a lot of times in, in the US, everything gets turned into a business. Mm. Yeah, you're right. It I needs mean, it to makes... be privatized. That's our, that's our philosophy. Right. It's has to be privatized. If it doesn't make a profit, mm. And mm. then, you know, there's no people to do mm. it. And that's a lot of time. That's why projects are they're, they're stopped because um, they're not going to be very profitable in the near future. Um, but over here, if you don't take that as your only goal, right, making profit, a lot of things can, can at least get started. Mm -hmm. Right. And maybe the um, along the way, you can find other uh, money making opportunities. So any it's job creation too. On top of that, you're talking about how it needs to be in the US often things are privatized. As soon as you start thinking about that, what happens is competition mm. and competing interests and who's going to make money. And so yes, that's good in some aspects of the world like to have like more than one competing company, mm. but sometimes that's not a good idea. Or not the priority. So, right. Yeah. So like they'll say, oh, "Okay, we need to create a high-speed rail, for example." And so it never gets done because there's people with land and people with who don't have land and people who wanted the contract and other people who do the contract a different way. Mm. But, you know, in, it in does get complicated. China does have that. Actually, China's increased to 50% of its total market cap is now in private hands. But China mm. also knows what things should not be privatized. And like education. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also medical services. China has a mix of actually in medical services of both. Of both yeah. yeah, they're all education. Yeah, has, the same. Some yeah. of it is controlled by the government and some of it is private. But you know, what's really amazing to me as an American living here in China is when there really needs to be something that needs to be centrally planned. Mm. And that's the best way to do it. Right. That not only do they do it, but they because they're the singular voice about this happening. Mm. Like they're like, oh, this is what we're going to do. Everyone's like, oh, that makes sense. And then the people get behind it. So we've talked about before afforestation and reforestation. Mm. You know, people drive to the desert now mm. or they take trains to the desert and they actually go and plant trees like en masse. And there's thousands mm. of people who do it as tourists because mm. they're like, this is part of our civic duty. It's also right. kind of fun. I want to teach my kids about environmentalism. And so exactly. like you have people who are full time doing reforestation and afforestation but the people of China are way behind it. You go mm. look, you look at America and reforestation and afforestation, and it's in private hands. And people mm. think, oh, that's someone else's responsibility. Mm, that's a good point. And also, like, don't under don't underestimate people's uh, ability to understand why mm. things are certain. Why why mm, do we need yeah. to plant trees? Why do we need to you know clean up the waters? And I also don't underestimate people's love for their mm -hmm. for their for nature mm -hmm. right for their environment and also for their country it's okay to sometimes ask them mm -hmm. to contribute right to contribute to a better environment for everybody um people are not as selfish as sometimes uh, <laughs> yeah i agree think. yeah I but agree. anyhow
Um, I just want to come back a little bit um, and share a bit of more information from sure. this article. So in response to water pollution and other related challenges, the Chinese government has implemented more than 130 policies to address surface water quality and aquatic environment degradation concerns, and including as part of the uh, 12th five-year plan. So that's like, you know, every five years, they come out with a five-year plan. And that's like a basic guidance of where the country wants to go and how we're going to do mm. things. And also the state's council action plan for prevention and control of water pollution. That's like water 10 plan mm. and five year plans for the informatization of environmental protection. I guess maybe this is more like mm -hmm. making mm. things more digital. So it's, you know, directions from the very top saying this is what we got to do. Mm. And then you work down the lines mm -hmm. and uh, the responsibilities goes down and things actually get implemented. Mm -hmm. And you can see that with your own eyes in Beijing, Wuhan and other places. You know, actually, there was a creek that was a little dirty, you know, mm. in uh, Rushan, which is where my wife's By Jason's standard. <laughs> oh, there was like plastic float, you know, plastic bottles floating and ducks swimming next to it. So I was like, uh, but you, now it's completely clean. It's posh. It's a really nice mm. creek that you would want to go down and spend the day by and have a picnic. Mm -hmm. I, I want to, you know, we talked about afforestation and I know that we're talking about rivers, but I wanted to read this because I found this statistic recently. Sure. And if, when I find st stats, I love to share them. I'm a nerd that way. So visualcapitalist.com is a website that has lots of stats that they just put up for businesses. And if you want to buy more, you can. This was about reforestation and afforestation. And mm. this is on the graphic of China where it says China, 40%. And it's talking about over the last 30 years, China has reforested and afforested, increased its forest cover by 40%. That wow. does not include agriculture. So that mm -hmm. is not counting farming, which has also increased. Mm. So that is just forests, forest cover. Right. But it says, quote, on the, on the, on the page, actually, China leads in forest growth by land area, having increased their forests by almost 243,000 square miles. That sounds like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it's great. Yeah. I mean, I guess for China, we've been pushed to a point where we know we have to do something. You know, this cannot be delayed. Mm, of mm, course, we want mm. uh, like over 10% GDP growth, mm. right? Everybody, we could all be a little wealthier. We could all have more stuff. But then when it comes to a point where you you are faced with all these natural challenges, right? Mm -hmm. uh, climate related and dirty air, dirty water, and you got to you know, switch your priorities a little bit or else you'll end up with piles of money, but then, you know, dirty, yucky river. Well, I wanted uh, to talk about that exactly. You know, I, that's what, that was my thought too. I was also thinking because I looked at, I found another graph. It's from Bloomberg. Hmm. China overtakes middle income peers. And it talks about like, this is per capita income has increased in China. And China has outstripped Argentina, Brazil, Mexico, Russia, and Turkey over the last 10 years or so. Actually, over the last five years has become number one of them and is actually almost at high income threshold, oh. the international threshold for high income, which is, I guess, above about $13,000 per year per person. $13,000 per person? That's high I mean, income? Well, per person. Think about going to, I don't know, I'm sorry if people from Bangladesh, but <laughs> Bangladesh or like, a, you know, certain places mm. where, yeah, that is high income okay. globe on a global level when okay. you're comparing that national If it's peers. per capita, you have like, say, three or four people uh, in the family, then that's a decent salary. Yes. Yeah, so each person in the family would be accounted for that amount of money. Mm. So yeah, if, if there's one income earner. But the thing about China is... Mm. 
both men and women typically work. Mm. That's what I notice. A lot of most most every woman I know has a job. Whereas in America, it's like mm. some women choose to work and some women are like home with the kids or some men are home with the kids. Like mm-hmm. it seems like most families in China are two income. But I, I, what I mean is going back to what you were saying about, you know, China is transitioning from a middle income country and it still does want growth and it is getting growth. Growth is still really good. Mm. But the priority is now mm. exactly what you're saying. Well, okay, we've got money. Like, we also want, you know, clean water. So yeah, we can't eat money directly. It has to be transformed into uh, healthy food and clean water. It's really interesting, even though China is making this decision to grow cleaner, Mm. and even has like the Green Belt and Road Initiative a couple of years ago, where they are only going to sponsor non-fossil fuel related new projects around the world for its its, uh, BRI, for the Belt and Road Initiative. So not just within China, but globally too. Mm. It's still interesting to me that China's growth hasn't really slowed. I mean, there has slowed in H1 a little bit because of other factors, Mm. but China's overall growth is still on an upward trajectory. But think about it. Let's say the river you mentioned Mm -hmm. that was dirty a few years ago with ducks and plastic swimming in the water. Mm. Let's say if they, let's say the local government, right, takes an initiative and puts some money into cleaning it up and nurse it for a year or two, mm-hmm. right? Like the Liangma River, it's mm-hmm. so beautiful. And then people will come and visit, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. They will come for, for outings, Brilliant. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. for tourism. And then uh, you have more restaurants and uh, hotels and money will come. I don't imagine hotels propping up in Rishan. No, <laughs> maybe like little <laughs> hostels. It is, it is the deep countryside where I'm talking oh. about. And also, I have some <laughs> s- statistics from this article from the diplomat.com. Mm. Uh, when it, like how much money we actually lose to flooding and droughts. It says China also faces threats from the growing frequency and intensity of climate change induced mm-hmm. induced extreme weather events mm-hmm. as across the globe. You know, like severe flooding and droughts, which cost China over forty seven billion dollars annually. So that is a lot I'd of like money. Th- I'd like some of that. <laughs> and that's like, I know. Well, let's help fix the problem. As estimates suggest that 1% of China's gross domestic product is lost annually due to flooding impact. And you know that flooding has been a major concern for China ever since mm-hmm. the ancient times, right? Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. a lot better now. Isn't that the origin of the Yellow Emperor story? Yeah, it's been haunting <laughs> empress for, <laughs> I guess, thousands of years. You're listening to The Bridge. Oh, you know, last year, I remember this severe flooding in Henan province, which you mentioned, right? That was like once in a thousand years Mm. rainstorm. Mm. Not just some loss of lives, but also Mm. uh, 12.7 billion in property damage. Mm. Well, that's money also. Yeah. And uh, in 2020... Water levels in southern China became prone to flooding, dangerously high. And these will all lead to losses if things don't get turned around. Well, sounds like if you combine some of the things that we've been talking about, like the South-North Water Diversion Project, also porous water... Oh, the Sponge City Initiative? Sponge City. Yeah, it Sponge makes so City. much sense. Yeah. yeah, these things, you know, as they continue... Because this, we're just at the beginning in the last 10 years or so of all of these projects taking off. Mm. In the future, hopefully, we'll ha- be able to China will be better able, and maybe countries around the world, mm. better able to control their environment in a more positive way. Um, when it comes to the cost of droughts, mm. and not just flooding, but also on the other side, droughts. 
So in mm. China, the annual costs of droughts between 1949 to 2017 averaged 7 billion US dollars. Mm. And with the um, global temperature increase of 1.5 Celsius mm. degree. Hopefully, hopefully that's it. That's like the good. That's, yeah, that, that would be the positive side. But even this figure, Less detrimental. it could make that cost go up to $47 billion, mm. the cost of drugs. Per year. And wow. uh, annually. And wow. if that the temperature, global temperature increase goes up to two Celsius degrees. Oh, that, I think we'll have bigger problems to worry about. That figure <laughs> will go over to 84 billion mm. annually. I think it'll be a lot worse than that. If we get up to 2%, we're going to be dealing with colossal environmental damage that may not even be able to be reversed within centuries. By losing cities and all that. Losing so. multiple cities. Maybe there'll be international antagonisms over water and you know resources. I think we get to 2%, we're going to see a very different world than the one we live in. Oh, goodness. But, you know. All right, we need to end on a nice <laughs> Actually, note. I have some data about uh, landfills and uh, waste. I just thought, I think it's really interesting. China produces, you know, a fair amount of waste, you know, th through trash mm -hmm. and things. But actually, if you look at it per capita. Too much. And th this is from uh, Visual Capitalist, and it's called A Material World. And it's, this is the name of the graphic. If you're interested in going to visualcapitalist.com, which I don't work for, by the way, <laughs> even though I say them mm. all the time. Uh, average annual ca sure. per capita municipal waste generation. China doesn't even appear in the top 20 countries at all per capita. Mm. So I'm not going to shame all the countries that do appear at the top of the list, but China, because the thing is about China is it has 1.4 billion people. So it does, yeah, produce some trash, mm. but per capita, per individual person, it's not even close to the top in terms of how much trash people are producing. Because mm. th simple things like we've talked about before, like shui mm. Bottles. You know, you carry your own. I, I have my own bottle right here with my coffee in it. Mm. I, I carry it to work. I carry it home. Mm -hmm. I picked that up in China. Back home in, in America, I was like, give me my plastic cup at Starbucks. Yay, go. <laughs> but I've actually learned to produce less trash here in China. My And I was from San Francisco. So mm. people in America know, oh, those terrible people out there in San Francisco and their environmentalism. What? Oh, yeah. People are like, San Franciscans are way too environmental. So, but I come from there. I came to China and I learned mm -hmm. how to be an environmentalist more so than I was home. And also, if you go to the countryside, you you will notice how little garbage yeah, they yeah, produce. Yeah. They reuse, reuse everything. everything. Yeah. And also, it's in the cities that things are so packaged. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's something I complain about all the time. I mean, you're complaining, but oh, the packaging gosh. in China is not even close to the packaging in the U.S. Like, yes, there's packaging problems it's in China. Enough. And we should improve the packaging issues in China. Right. But you go to my home and you like, you go to the store, you carry a plastic bag with the stuff in it that you bought. You take and that layers out, and layers. And you open, yeah, yeah, layers and layers. You open that inside. There's another thing. And like, finally, you get down and what you have is a plastic tray transformer or whatever so it's like just packaging <laughs> i know like just give me the mooncakes and <laughs> i don't need five layers of clothing for my mooncakes yeah hopefully hopefully somebody uh maybe there will be some policies from above you know i hope one day they will come up with a policy from above and then the good point is that mm. everybody will be treated equally mm. right so the uh, manufacturers will tell the customers hey it's not like i don't want to make our products pretty 
or with layers of all kinds mm -hmm. of fancy paper is that we got you know safe paper and not produce too much garbage and the consumers were like yeah i got it i read it in the news <laughs> i understand the whole thing mm. then it's like the same for everybody so it people don't start competing whose gifts are prettier because they've got better wrapping or you know it's a prettier boxes containing the little things that they sell well you know this has been a bit of a tangent but you know i guess i guess the overall theme is not just rivers but that china's environmentalism is constantly moving forward mm. in, in terms of all kinds of different fields land and water and air but i guess the big takeaway from today especially with all of baby's incredible research is that the quality of china's water resources are is improving even as the economy grows that is all the time we have for today we are a show where east meets west thank you so much for your time baby thank you jason thank you everybody we'll see you next time bye bye Oh, 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 oh,